Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated and bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I'm wishing you all a happy 2023. Hopefully you all have a productive and joyous new year. Tonight's episode is called Oh Rats. <laughs> and when you hear both radio plays, you'll understand why. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Arch Obler Plays and The Black Mass. Now a quick rundown on Arch Obler Plays. It was an anthology series written, produced, as well as directed by the great Arch Obler, who we know was one of the masterminds behind the classic radio series Lights Out everybody. It first ran on NBC on March 25th, 1939 and concluded on March 23rd, 1940. It was revived five years later on April 5th, 1945 and concluded on October 11th that same year. The radio play Him or Me, I'm thinking, was first broadcasted in 1940 but the date that was given to me was a rebroadcasting on December 26 1964 following that is a radio adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's short story The Rats in the Wall and this was first broadcasted on September 3rd 1964 on the horror fantasy anthology series The Black Mass so you all know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to him or me followed by the rats in the wall plays stories of the unusual This is Arch Obler. Tonight's play is somewhat ungrammatically titled Him or Me because it's about an ungrammatical, unethical character whom we're all meeting all too frequently in our troubled world. If ever a playwright wrote a play in blood, that's the way I did this one. It begins after a short message. And now, Arch Obler's unusual play called Him or Me. Listen to the thoughts of Bill Carr. sucker's car. Got off at the boat night. He pulled up. He said, Want a lift, soldier? Yeah. Brand new convertible, I remember. Are you sure you're warm enough, young man? Yeah, yeah I'm okay. Uh, Cora, she's Mrs. Potter. Always makes fun of me, carrying all those blankets and things. But when you travel down the road, as long as I have and in my territory, you just have to be ready for any contingency. You got a nice car. Oh, yes. You see, it's a surprise for Mrs. Potter. <laughs> but she won't know about it for two weeks. Hey, mister, uh, listen, could, could you pull up a minute? I, I, I feel so good. Why? Uh, 
phone going to be sick? Oh, sure, sure. Here you are. Do you want to get out? I mean, I... Your hand? What? No. Please. Please. Yeah. Brand new convertible. Two weeks, he said, and as old as he wouldn't start yelling to the cops for three, and by that time I'd be back in Chicago in a car to have a new paint job and a new engine number. I looked out of the window. We were parked right on a bridge, and below, there was water. Up you go. You wanted to go fishing, mister? Okay. I gotta figure it all out. The time is gone. I gotta figure an angle. What happened then? I gotta remember. There's a car. Yeah. On the way to Chicago. Oh, but first I had to settle an old score. I've been waiting for 15 years in my hometown. Paper, mister? Paper? No, no, no. Say, uh, tell me something, will you? Uh, uh, a guy named J.B. Rulin still run this town? Old man Rulin? Yeah. Well, mister, he don't have to run it. He owns it. Bang, most of the filling stations, the newspaper. Well, man, Rudin's got... Hey, 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 look. Well, see that dish crossing the street? That's yeah. old man Rudin's, too. That's his daughter. That was you, Kitty, he was talking about. And seeing you made it a lot easier to hang around town and figure out an angle to settle my score with your old man. Have another, young man. Have another. After all, this is quite an occasion. An occasion, Mr. Rudin? Why, of course. Prodigal son returns with a fatted calf. <laughs> oh, yeah? You run me out of town, didn't you, Mr. Rowe? No, no, I didn't do that exactly. I uh, I felt another atmosphere would get you away from certain unfortunate influences. And it certainly did straighten you out. And I think that you're now a businessman, no less. Yeah, the past is the past, as far as I'm concerned. And here you are, older, prosperous, and a welcome guest. Oh, Kathy, come in here. I want you to meet an old friend of mine. Yeah, you were the answer, Kay, the angle. But you didn't want to play, did you, Kay? Oh, Bill, please. I, I like you very much. Of course I do. But after all, I've only known you a week. Oh, please, Bill, don't let me talk. I'm just a small-town girl. You frighten me a little. But I do like you very much. I think about you all the time. Yeah, just a nice, small-town girl, Kay. <laughs> so, if wedding bells was the price of the payoff, okay, I said. I'd have the preacher say the words over me a couple of times before the war. One more time, I'm going to hurt me. And when I got through with you and your old man's bankroll, that'd square the score, yeah, with interest for 15 years. I'm not for this marriage, Bill. Had I known you intended to stay in our town, I would have seen to it that my daughter never met you. <laughs> Papa didn't have a chance. Bill? Please, turn off the big light. Shining right in my eyes. Oh, sure. Yeah. Better. Uh-huh. Should I turn off the bed lamp, too? After the champagne. Oh. <laughs> I bet we're the only people who ever stole champagne from their own wedding. <laughs> To us, Bill. Always. Yeah. Bill? Mm. Well, here I am, married to you, and, mm -hmm. and I love you. But I don't really know you. Mm hmm? I, I've got to ask you something right now. Well, go ahead. All those years away from town... And then coming back all of a sudden, I've got no bill. Did you come back because you didn't know she'd gotten married? No. I mean, Lily Ellis. Oh. Some people were saying you really left town because of her. Did you come back because of her, too? Lily Ellis. She said Lily Ellis for a minute I couldn't remember. Lily Ellis. Oh, and I married her, too. And then I remember Jan, one gal I played around with. I said to Kay, no, baby, I don't even remember Lily Ellis. Now, how about another? And then I remember I started to get out of bed. My right foot touched the floor. Oh, it wasn't the floor. 
something soft and warm. It bit. I fell over. I fell back on the bed. My elbow hit something. It was Kate. Screaming. Funny. The jaw to one side. And there was blood on my foot, and I knew. A rat. I stepped on a rat, and he'd bitten me, and when I fell back, I hit Kay's jaw, and I'd broken it. Rats. Rats. What do you mean, rats? It's a brand new house. How could there be any rats? Drunk. And you hit her, and you broke her jaw. Well, you won't get the chance to hurt her again. She's safe at home, and she's staying there. I'll get the married and old. You went away, Mr. Ronan, when the door closed behind you. I knew that job was finished. It was no good. The weeks were wasted. I was out. Cold, all my scheme and the dough, the gal, the pay off, all of it finished by one rousy little rat. Only was there a rat. I sat down, me in a bottle, and the more I kept drinking, the more I kept thinking. Was there a rat? Was there a rat? I fell asleep. I woke up. A shot? Who? Who? And then I saw a bottle of whiskey smashed on the floor. In my sleep, I'd... And then I saw something else. Animal tracks. Wet animal tracks. Running across the floor as if something went through the liquor. I got to my feet and I followed them across the room, through the door. And then they were gone. They were lost in the carpet. But now I knew there was a rat. I'll get you, you bastard rat. Yeah, I stood there yelling. Nobody had ever got the best of me. Nobody. O'Bannon, Sam Contreras, Max Reaver, dead, rotting. Nobody beat me. Nobody. I wasn't going away. I was staying there. As long as it took me to get that rat. Him or me. That's when I knew it. Him or me. to return to Arch Obler's strange play, Him or Me. Listen to the thoughts of Bill Carr. Him or me, him or me, him or me, him or me. No, no, no. Him. Him. Yeah. Keep thinking of that. I want to do that morning. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I went out into the street, just like I was. Everybody saw me. Hi, Mr. Carr. How's the bride? Hi, Bill. What's the rush? Ah, hello, Bill. Anything I can do yeah, for yeah. you? Some traps. Give me some traps, will you? Traps? What kind of traps? Bear traps? Gopher? Rats, rat traps. Give me three. No, no. Make it four. Now, give me a dozen. What? And give me some poison. A dozen boxes of rat poison. Now, wait a minute. There aren't that many rats in the Don't argue you with me, you fool. Now, to stop. Get it for me. Will you get it for me? In a couple of minutes, I was out of the place, the stuff in my arms, almost running. I could see people turning me, watching me running, the stuff in my arms, my face the way it was, without washing, shaving. And then she was there, the blonde dame. Bill Carl, of all people. Say, I bet you don't even remember Yeah, me. well, well I, I was... You uh, don't? You so-and-so. I'm Lily. Lily Allen. Oh, oh, sure. I knew. I mean, I... Oh, I you big, handsome lug. Haven't you got a kiss of your old girlfriend after all these years? Come on, I know you. You're not the bashful type. And then you were grinding your lips on mine. Weren't you, Lily? You didn't think. You didn't know. You didn't care. Everybody watching. Everybody stopping in the street watching. Bill Carr, who just got married to old man Ronan's kid, kissing his old girlfriend out there in front of everybody. Look, Bill. We're stopping traffic. Come on, let's get out of here. How about taking me to breakfast? I know, no, no, I, I can't. All right, all right, we'll go over to my place and... Well, for heaven's sake, what's in those boxes? Breakfast food? Poison grain? Well, for heaven's sake, Bill, what are you doing with all those boxes of poison grain? Who are you killing and when? I got away from her. Back in the house, I set the traps. I put the poison stuff across the head of the stairs, crisscross all over the kitchen floor, and then I went into the bedroom. And then I saw... Where I left the bureau drawer open, everything was torn to pieces. All my identification papers, my billfold, and the rest of my dough. My dough. Fifteen thousand bucks chewed up in little pieces. My dough. And then a phone. All right. All right. Hello, who is it? Hello. Is it you, Bill? Yeah. Well, this is Mr. Ronan. Kay's got it in her head that she wants to come back there with you, heaven knows uh, why. Stay there. What? What'd you say? I said, let us stay there. I'm busy. Things are going on. Bill Carr. Kathy's got hysterics. 
If she wants to be with you, I blast it all. You better come over here and get her. Here's you right away. Right away? Sure, why not? So I took a deep breath and I went over and got you, Kay. Sure. Because now the 15 grand was gone. But having you again, I have another chance to get your old man right in his cash box. He came with us. And when the two of you were all set in the house, I went down the street thinking of that 15,000 gone. And the back of my head was hurting like it was ready to bust wide open. Him or me, him or me, I had to do something. The traps, the poison grain, that wasn't enough. I had to be sure I'd get him fast before it blew my top. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. I looked down, it was a big Tom. Like old man Frank always has around his cash feeding grain store. I went into the place. Yeah? Yes, what is it? Hey, Mr. Frank, you got rats around here, huh? All right. Well, how do you get rid of them? Why? We got rats at my house. Will you tell me a sure way to get rid of them? Why? Because I'll pay off. That's why. Any price. I'll pay you anything you want. Well, I haven't got the stuff ready made, but would you want the formula? The formula? Yeah, 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 sure, sure. I got it written down on a paper here somewhere. Yeah, here it is. Cost you two dollars. Cash money. Went down the street and I was feeling good. Old man Frank always knew what he was talking about. Holding that piece of paper tight in my hand, I went into Mr. Miller's drugstore. Yes, what is it? Oh, oh, how's the bridegroom, or shouldn't I? Hey, this, uh, this prescription. Can you fill this right away? Prescription's my business. Hey, what's this for? Old man Frank giving me. It's for killing rats. Very dangerous. Oh, sure, sure. Come on, will you fill it? I'm in a hurry. Oh, this is very dangerous. Very, very. Half an hour later, he came back with two bottles. Mix them, he says. Be careful, he says. When I got home, Kay was sleeping. Her pa was snoring in the chair next to bed. So I went to the kitchen. I got a big glass dish, and I began to mix the stuff. And all of a sudden... Hey, what's going on here? What are you doing? What's that stuff you're mixing? Medicine? No, 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 no. No, no, no. no don't, don't, don't touch it. What's the matter with you? That poison? Yeah, something? yeah, yeah. Poison? Yeah. Sure, it's poison. Look, that rat, the one that bit me, just to kill him. Once and for all. Oh. Well, uh, all right, Bill. All right, I... I've got to go home now to supper, but uh, I, I'll be back later. Now, you, you've got to be careful. He went, and as soon as he did, I finished mixing the stuff, and I filled half a dozen saucers with it. And then I put those saucers all the places I knew he'd go. Kitchen, living room, hallway. And then as I started down into the basement, in the other room, I got him. I grabbed the club I had already the living room. The lights. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Broken pieces of saucer on the floor and over by the window. Him. Yeah. He was there just the way I dreamed about it. Looking up at me. Yeah. What'd he look like? He was big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was big. He was big as a tomcat. And he wasn't young. His fur was a gray that was an old gray. His head was sharp and pointed like a key to hell. With black, bright, beady eyes that knew all the answers in hell. Yeah. Yeah, his eyes. Something crazy. Just in that minute, he looked at me. He was that rat in that road near Frisco. Me in the car, him sitting by the man I'd killed, looking up at me. And all of a sudden, he moved. The club in my hand went up. Then I began to laugh. Because whatever he was, wherever he came from, I saw he couldn't get away from me. Not anymore. His hind legs. That poison had done something to him. Now he was just crawling along. Just crawling, like a big gray crab in a dirty fur coat. I took a step forward. He stopped crawling. Looked at me like he was trying to figure a way out. There wasn't no way out. He took another little side step toward the window. Window was part way open. Another little sidestep, his eyes on me. Okay, I said to myself, okay. Three more steps, and then I'll give it to you. Took another step. But between that and the next step, he waited a long, long time. Looking at me all the time as if trying to figure out what I was thinking, what I was going to do. One more step, I said to myself. You, you got one step left. Claw started digging into the wood for another move, and then he changed his mind. But all of a sudden, I couldn't wait no more. Now, I I swung the club. He wasn't there. Where he got the strength from, I don't know. He threw himself to one side of my club, missed him, and then he was gone. 
I stood there like I was struck dead. And then I heard... Hey, I'm coming. Yelling, waving the club, I ran to the bedroom. Okay, you were sitting up in the bed pointing your finger. I saw him on the floor moving toward you. I swung that club when the light went up. I swung blind in the dark. But I felt the club hit and crush. And then you, Kay, you were quiet. I didn't have a chance. No. The way I broke your jaw on a honeymoon, another girl coming back to town and kissing me, and me going around town to get the poison, and what the druggist said, what your pa said about the poison drink, and the way I acted, what they dug up on me in Chicago. I didn't have a chance. Him or me, him or me, him or me, him or me. Clock. Why do I hear a Clock. Time, yeah. I gotta have more time. An angle. I ain't figured out an angle. Nobody's ever licked me. Nobody. Now, how can a dirty, lousy little rat lick? Straps. You're putting straps on my feet? My hands? Mask over my head? They're gonna burn? Him or me? I guess it's me. This is Arch Ogre once more. Someone said to me, Hi, Mr. Ryder, why don't you make us laugh? So, for the sake of a few laughs, my next play is titled Mrs. Kingsley's Report. More about that after a brief message. This is Ogre again. First, might I thank with you tonight's players, Larry Dobkin, Barney Phillips, and Barbara Eiler. It's time for Edward R. Murrow with the news, presented by the Ford Division of Ford Motor Company. It's perfectly logical. The car that most people want today is the car that gives them the most for their money. And that car is the new 54 Ford. It's the only low-priced car offering a choice of V8 or 6. The new 130-horsepower Y-Block V8 or the new 115-horsepower I-Block 6. It's the only car in its field with new ball-joint suspension, a truly modern front suspension system. And Ford offers five optional power assists to help take the drive out of driving. No wonder the new 54 Ford is America's most wanted car. And now here's Edward R. Murrow. This is the news. The government reports that unemployment increased by 584,000 persons in February. It was the fourth straight monthly increase. There are now 3,671,000 unemployed. In the past three months, December, January, and February, the figure on the unemployed increased by 2 million. Once again tonight, Senator McCarthy and Army Secretary Stevens are in violent verbal disagreement. An Army report says that Senator McCarthy and his chief counsel, Roy Cohn, applied pressure and threats to the Army to try to get special treatment for a former committee aide, David Schein, who was drafted into the Army. The Army report says the 27-year-old Cohn threatened to get the Secretary Stevens and wreck the Army. Cohn denies this, and he and McCarthy say the Army has been using this report in an attempt to blackmail the McCarthy Committee to give up its search for communists in the Army. McCarthy today released an unsigned memorandum saying that Army Secretary Stevens once suggested that the committee aim its search for communists at the Navy, the Air Force, and the Defense Department. The unsigned McCarthy memorandum says Stevens offered to furnish leads and plenty of dirt for such an investigation. Secretary Stevens promptly called this utterly untrue. And the Army's legal counsel, John G. Adams, who is alleged to have had conversations with McCarthy on such things, calls the McCarthy memorandum fantastic and false. One McCarthy committee member, Republican Potter of Michigan, called for a quick hearing to determine whether what he called these shocking charges against Cohn are true. Another Republican committee member, Dirksen of Illinois, said McCarthy violated an agreement with other Republicans not to release his memorandum, at least until they had discussed the Army's report on McCarthy and Cohn. Erickson says the present controversy has gone far enough. The three Democrats on the committee want an early hearing on the Army's report. So does Republican Senator Munt, another member. Senator McCarthy left Washington today to make some speeches in Wisconsin. I am obliged to assume that most people have on their minds matters of more considerable substance 
than Senator McCarthy's opinion of this reporter or my opinion of him. However, it might serve some purpose to set at least some part of the record straight. Let us begin with the subject of the Civil Liberties Union. Here is Senator McCarthy's statement on that subject, recorded while he was interrogating Reed Harris. Did the Civil Liberties Union provide you with an attorney at that time? I had many offers of attorneys, and one of those was from the American Civil Liberties Union, yes. The question is, did the Civil Liberties Union supply you with an attorney? They did supply an attorney. The answer is yes? The answer is yes. Uh, you know, the Civil Liberties Union has been listed as a front for and doing the work of the Communist Party. Mr. Chairman, this was 1932. Yeah, I know this was 1932. Do you know that they since have been listed as a front for and doing the work of the Communist Party? I do not know that they have been listed so, sir. You, no. you don't know they have been listed? I have heard that mention and yes, read that mention. Now here is this reporter's comment made on a recent television program. The Reed Harris hearing demonstrates one of the senator's techniques. Twice, he said the American Civil Liberties Union was listed as a subversive front. The Attorney General's list does not and has never listed the ACLU as subversive, nor does the FBI or any other federal government agency. And the American Civil Liberties Union holds in its files letters of commendation from President Truman, President Eisenhower, and General MacArthur. Here again is what Senator McCarthy said last night when asked by Fulton Lewis, Jr. to comment on my remarks. Well, may I say that I, there are some individuals in the ACLU who are good Americans, but Murrow again was not telling the truth when he said it had not been listed. I have, as you see here, Fulton, the fourth report of the Un-American Activities uh, Committee in California. I quote from page 107, and this is a quotation in regard to the organization which Murrow said had not been listed. Quote, the American Civil Liberties Union may be definitely classed as a communist front or transmission belt organization. At least 90% of its efforts are expended on behalf of communists who come into conflict with the law. So that, again, Mr. Murrow is not telling the truth. I specifically stated the Attorney General's list, the FBI, and any other government agency. Someone lied. There's no doubt about that. Now let us turn to another subject. Mr. Lewis last night asked the Senator to comment on a television program of which I am the editor. Here is Senator McCarthy's reply. I have no hesitation in giving it such circulation as this broadcast may enjoy. I may say, Fulton, that I have a little difficulty uh, answering the specific attacks that he made because I never listened to the extreme left-wing, bleeding-heart elements of uh, radio or television. The senator may have me there. I may be a bleeding heart, uh, being not quite sure of what it means. As for being extreme left-wing, that is political shorthand. But if the senator means that I am somewhat to the left of his position and of Louis XIV, he is correct. Now, here are the facts about that Moscow summer school. The date was 1935. I was the assistant director of the Institute of International Education. This organization dealt primarily with the exchange of students and professors between this and foreign countries. It had established offices in London, Paris, Berlin, Geneva, and elsewhere. It was largely financed at that time by the Carnegie Corporation and the Rockefeller Foundation. Among its board of trustees were such as John Foster Dulles, John Bassett Moore, Thomas W. Lamont, Virginia Gildersleeve, and others equally distinguished. I believed 18 years ago, and I believe today, that mature American graduate students and professors can engage in conversation and controversy, the clash of ideas, with communists anywhere under peacetime conditions without becoming contaminated or converted. To deny this would be to admit that in the realm of ideas, faith, and conviction, the communist cause, dogma, and doctrine is stronger than our own. This reporter declines to admit that, but remains uncertain as to Senator McCarthy's position on this matter. This seems to be the open season for quoting Lincoln. Last night, Senator McCarthy quoted from a Lincoln speech of 1838. I'd like to read you these words from that same speech. I hope I am over-wary, but if I am not, there is even now something of ill omen amongst us. I mean the increasing disregard for law which pervades the country, the growing disposition to substitute the wild and furious passions in lieu of the sober judgment of courts, and the worse-than-savage mobs for the executive ministers of justice.
Good night, and good luck. If you haven't had a test drive in the new 54 Ford, your Ford dealer cordially invites you to stop in. While you're there, be sure and try Ford's five optional power assists. They really take the drive out of driving. After your test drive, you'll ask yourself, why pay more than the price of a new 54 Ford? You can't buy better. Listen to Murrow on Monday, when he will again be presented by the... of Exum Priory had been a stupendous task. For little had remained of the deserted pile but a shell-like ruin. But because it had been the seat of my ancestors, I let no expense deter me. The place had not been inhabited since the reign of James I, when a tragedy of intensely hideous, though largely unexplained nature, occurred. It appeared that my ancestor was accused, with much reason, of having killed all the other members of his household in their sleep. This deliberate slaughter, which included his father, as well as three brothers and two sisters, was strangely condoned by the villagers, and slackly treated by the law. With this sole heir, nevertheless legally denounced as a murderer, the estate had reverted to the crown. The accused man, making no attempt to exculpate himself or regain his property. Shaken by some horror, greater than that of conscience or the law, and expressing only a frantic wish to exclude the ancient edifice from his sight and memory, Walter de la Power fled to the United States, where, by the end of several generations, the family had achieved a proud and honorable, if somewhat reserved and unsocial, Virginia line. After the Civil War, the family moved north. I emerged and grew to manhood. To middle age, and to ultimate wealth within the grayness of a Massachusetts business life. My wife, Emily, died shortly after the birth of our only son, Alfred. And Alfred, in the Aviation Corps in 1917, they both had died, leaving me old, bereaved, and aimless, a retired manufacturer. I traveled, eventually to England, eventually to Anchester, eventually to the ancient family seat, Exum Priory itself. A jumble of tottering medieval ruins covered with lichen, perched perilously upon a precipice denuded of floors and other interior features save the stone walls and the separate towers. The priory had been allotted to the estate of the Norris family by the Crown. And now, three centuries later, I purchased the ruin for a surprisingly reasonable figure and resolved to divert my remaining years by restoring, restoring my ancestral home.
I had secured the interest, assistance, and the friendship of Captain Norris, whose knowledge of the place had been increased through the years by his having accompanied the many architects and antiquarians who loved to examine the strange relic. The uh, mind you put on that big stone yeah. over there. Mm -hmm. The um, the architecture you see is peculiarly composite. Uh, Gothic towers resting mm -hmm. over there yeah. on Saxon or Romanesque substructure. The uh, foundation is of a still earlier order, blend of orders, I suppose, Roman yeah. or even Druidic or native Cymric, if legends speak truly. And merged on the one side you see down here with the yeah. solid limestone of the precipice. Amiable Captain Norris. The place and its ancestry had an almost consuming fascination for him. He knew every detail of its history and its former structure, and became of inestimable help in the reconstruction. The uh, priory itself actually stands on the site of a prehistoric temple. Yes. A druidical or anti-druidical thing, which must have been contemporary of Stonehenge and dates like that. Well, it's unfortunate that our neighbors aren't all antiquarians such as you, Captain Norris. I had not been in Anchester a day before I knew I came from an accursed house. Oh, yes, the country folk around here have their own sense of tradition, I'm afraid. They hated the Priory hundreds of years ago when your ancestors lived here. And they hate it now, with the moss and mold of abandonment on it. We'll have to go outside of the immediate vicinity for our workers. You see, it isn't so much hatred as the, the almost unbelievable fear they have of the place. And the scope appears to include both the Priory and, I'm afraid, its ancient family. Yes, I, I don't seem to be able to convince the villagers how little I know of my heritage. Oh, but to them, a lineage is beyond a message of knowing. It's in the bone and blood itself. Yeah. I'm not sure I disagree. But what do we see? After three centuries, a power has returned to his ancient site to reconstruct the very house. And for the villagers, you've come to restore a symbol apparent to them. Oh. Rational or not, you know, they view Exum Priory as nothing less than a haunt of fiends and werewolves. <laughs> Captain Norris. <laughs> Superstitions. Superstitions, ghosts and ghosts. Oh, no, not quite that. No, ah, no. you share their worries, nevertheless. Well, so would you, Pyre. Uh, it's not a matter of the present. And it's not all superstition. Uh, this is an ancient place, Pyre. That indescribable rites had been celebrated here, no one doubts. Rites of the Sibylli worship. The Romans are introduced. Inscriptions still visible in the subcellar of the Priory bear the unmistakable letters and signs of Magna Mata, whose dark worship was once vainly forbidden to Roman citizens. Mm. About a thousand AD, the place is mentioned as being a substantial stone priory housing a strange and powerful monastic order and surrounded by extensive gardens. You can see them right over there. Oh, yes. Mm. yes. Now, mind that uh, stone there. <coughs> You know, the people didn't need any walls to keep them out. They were too frightened of the place altogether. <laughs> it was never destroyed by the Danes, oddly enough. After the Norman conquest, it must have declined tremendously. There was no impediment when Henry III granted the site to your ancestor, Gilbert de la Poa, he was called then. First Baron Exon in, I think, 12... Yes, 1261. Yes, well, then it's the location, the house, not the family that inherits the bad name. Well, they became aligned, you see. Uh. And not so far as we know, unwillingly. True, before their occupation, the family bore no evil report, but something strange must soon have occurred. You know, in one chronicle, there's a reference to Adela Poa as cursed of God. It's a strange phrase. Village legendary had nothing but evil and frantic fear to tell of the castle. The fireside tales were of the most grisly description. All the... Mind your head, darling. Yeah. All the ghastlier because of their frightened reticence and cloudy evasiveness. I'm afraid they represented your ancestors as a race of hereditary <laughs> demons. <laughs> well, what precisely happened, Norris? What went on? Well, there are these vaguer tales. Hackneyed spectral law, perhaps. Wails and the usual howlings heard around the place. Graveyard stench after the spring rains. The servant girl who'd gone mad at what she saw in the full light of day in the priory. <laughs> the accounts of vanished peasants are less to be dismissed, though not especially significant in view of medieval custom. Prying curiosity meant death, and yes. more than one severed head had been publicly shown on the bastions around Exon Priory. Ah, yes, yes. Well, <laughs> it's difficult. A few of the tales were exceedingly picturesque. For instance, the belief that a legend of bat-winged devils kept witches.
witches' Sabbath each night at the Priory, a legend whose sustenance must explain the disproportionate abundance of coarse vegetables harvested <laughs> in the gardens. <laughs> but most, most vivid of all, there was the dramatic epic of the rats. The rats? Yes, the scampering uh. army of obscene vermin which had burst forth from the castle a couple of months after the tragedy that doomed the place to desertion hmm, three centuries ago now. You know, a lean, filthy, ravenous army which had swept all before it and devoured fowl, cats, dogs, hogs, sheep, and, you know, even two villagers before its fury was spent. Yes, around that unforgettable rodent army, a cycle of myths revolves. It scattered among the village homes and brought curses and horrors in its train. Yeah, yes, and that was just three months after... Walter de la Parra had murdered his family and fled to Virginia. Yeah, yes, I should say about that. You know, one thing puzzles me about that murder. Walter de la Parra must have known for years the sinister tales about his family, so that this material could have given him no fresh impulse. I can scarcely conjecture what discovery could have prompted an act so terrible. What had he witnessed or stumbled upon? Oh, uh, take this pass down here. Yes. The, um, well, the general whispered sentiment seems to have been that he purged the land of a memorial curse. Such was the law that assailed me as I began with an elderly obstinacy, the work of restoring my ancestral home. While living with Captain Norrie's family during the restoration of the Priory, I collected many such tales of superstition or fact. But it must not be imagined that they formed my principal psychological environment. I was constantly praised and encouraged by Captain Norrie and the antiquarians who surrounded and aided me. When the task was done, over two years after its commencement, I viewed the great rooms with pride. Wainscotted walls, vaulted ceilings, Mullioned window, broad staircase, all there, all as it had been. Every attribute of the Middle Ages was cunningly reproduced. The new parts blended perfectly with the original stone walls and foundations. The seat of my father's was complete, and I looked forward to redeeming at last the local fame of the line, which ended with me. The interior of the old house was, in truth, wholly new and free from old vermin and old ghosts. The first incident occurred six days after I moved into the Priory. That night, dispensing as usual with a valet, I retired to the West Tower chamber, which I had chosen as my own. The room was circular. Very high, and without wainscoting, the stones being hung with tapestry. I did not draw the curtains, but gazed out at the narrow north window, which I faced from the canopied four-poster. At some time, I must have fallen quietly asleep. But I recall a distinct sense of leaving strange dreams. As I awoke, I found myself looking intensely at a point on the wall, a point to which my eye had nothing to mark it, but toward which all my attention was directed. Whether the tapestry actually moved, I cannot say. I think it did very slightly. But what I can swear to is that behind it, I heard a low, distinct scurrying, as of mice or rats. Then it was gone. Some sort of effective echo, perhaps, coming from some other area of the house. There was no need of my looking behind the arras, for the walls were of solid stone, several feet thick. It was a while before I could drift back to sleep, and I seemed directly to re-enter my earlier dream, except that this time... 
the vision was clearly, horribly before me. I, I seemed to be looking down. Down from an immense height upon a, a twilight grotto. Knee deep with filth. Where a white-bearded demon, a swineherd, drove about with a sort of fungus beast whose appearance filled me with unutterable loathing. Then, as the swineherd paused and nodded over his task, a mighty swarm of rats rained down on the stinking abyss and fell to devouring beasts and man alike. But suddenly I was awake, wide awake. On every side of the chamber, the walls were alive with nauseous sounds the verminous slithering of ravenous, gigantic rats. I could see a hideous shaking all over the tapestry. But the motion disappeared almost at once, and the sound with it. I sprang out of bed and tore aside the arras to see what lay beneath it. Nothing. Nothing but the patched stone wall. I, I stepped out of the room and stood for a moment at the head of the great ancient stairway, listening. Listening to the house. I could hear them. I could hear them faintly at first, but coming from all the walls. And as I descended, the stampeding continued with such force and distinctness that I could finally assign to their motions a definite direction. These creatures, in numbers apparently inexhaustible, were engaged in one stupendous migration from inconceivable heights to some depth inconceivably below. Rats? When I questioned the servants, they said they heard nothing. I didn't want to alarm them by insisting. No, I wasn't dreaming, Norris. It was no dream. But there have been no rats at the Priory for 300 years. Even the field mice couldn't be found in these high walls. Wherever would they be found in walls of solid stone? Mm. You say they were headed downward. Hmm? Captain Norris helped me explore the subcellar, but absolutely nothing untoward was found. We could not, however, repress a thrill at the knowledge that this vault was built by Roman hands. See up here, it's not the debased Romanesque of the bungling Saxons, but the severe and harmonious classicism of the age of the Caesars. Look here at these inscriptions. T.M. Temp. Dona, Lucius Tricius, Pontificatus. What is it? Attis. Yes. Hmm. Attis. The reference made me shiver, but I had read Catullus and knew something of the hideous rites of the Eastern Guard whose worship was so mixed with that of Sibili. Look, hold your uh, lantern up here. No, not, not that yes. one. That's by the stone block here. Oh, yes, I see. Yes, you see the design cut into it, a sort mm. of rayed sun? Mm. That's not Roman. No, that's not Roman at all. It's of an earlier origin. These, these altars had merely been adopted by the Roman priests from some older, perhaps, aboriginal temple on the same site. Come down here. Let's have a look down here. Norris and I determined to pass the night in the crypt, and couches were brought down by the servants. We retired with the lantern still burning to await whatever might occur. The vault was very deep in the foundations of the priory, and that it had been the goal of the scuffling and unexplainable rats, I could not doubt. But why? Why? As we lay there expectantly, I found my vigil occasionally mixed with half-formed dreams. I saw the twilight grotto and the swineherd. The fungus beasts wallowing in filth. They seemed nearer, nearer and more distinct. I, I could almost observe their features. Beasts, but not exactly beasts. They became more distinct as I watched, looking up at me. Terrifying. Terrifying! 
Norris, Norris, wake up, Norris. Wake up, wake up. What's it, fellas? What's wrong? Do you hear? Did you hear them? Did you hear them, Norris? What, what? The rats. Rats? I, I heard... I heard nothing, nothing at all. Still downward. They were they were going still farther oh, down. No. There were cellars below us, Norris. Cellars? Norris, was it hallucination? Was it madness? Why have they stopped? Why have they stopped? Why, why is it silent now? Hmm. Perhaps you've been shown what certain forces wish to show you. They were headed downward. In this altar. See, Norris. The lantern. The lantern flickers at the crevice here between the altar and the floor. There must be some kind of... By Jove! There must be some way of descending, some door, some some kind of entrance. Balanced by some sort of counterweight, I expect. You see? Look here, look. The entire stone pivots aside. By Jove! There's your cellar power. Stone steps descended into an abysmal dark, but scrawled across them as far as we could see. Skeletons, skeletons, attitudes of panic fear all over them. The marks of rodent noise. A ghastly array of human or semi-human bones. Creepers. Semi-apedons. We descended the hellishly littered Horrifying, but extraordinary. Look here. Out through solid rock. Notice the strokes here. Look, according to the direction of all this passage, must have been chiseled from beneath, upward. Well, look at that. You notice the air? There's a cool movement of air. Probably some fissure in the cliffs above. Yes, look, look far. The stairway ends here. There's light filtering down from somewhere up here. I can't quite see it, but... Harry, it must be morning outside, you know, almost enough light to see. It's a sort of grotto. Enormous. You, you can just barely... The descent from reality had almost prepared me for what was to come. Norris, when I reached him, stared out with a look resembling that of the skulls at his feet. Then I followed his eyes over the subterranean world before us. Dear God. We uh, must not uh, underestimate the uh, archaeological importance of such a discovery as this. Huh? The twilight grotto was of enormous height and stretched farther than any eye could see. There were buildings and other architectural remains. In the center, a circle of monoliths but dwarfed everything dwarfed by the spectacle on the ground. An insane tangle of bones, human or nearly so. Like a foamy sea, they stretched pastures of demonic frenzy, either fighting off the menace or clutching other forms with cannibal intent. Yes, the skulls suggest a rather baffling mixture, mostly lower in the scale of evolution than Pythic Anthropus, but in every case definitely human. Actually, some of them seem to be supremely and sensitively developed types. Horror. Horror upon horror. All the bones gnawed. Altars serving as butcher shop and kitchen. Mostly by rats. Uh, Cauldron. Dining table. Not all by rats, my Jack. Goblets brown-stained and dried. Horror upon horror. Notice the stone pens over here. For the keeping of herd, I expect, and out of which they must have broken in their last delirium of hunger or rat fear. Herds of some primordial human type. Oh, fascinating. And there a row of cells nearly rusted through. Their tenants still locked inside. And on the bony forefinger of one, a steel ring with my own coat of arms. Strange ideographic carvings here on some of the skulls. Here, look at here. Look at this power. You know, I believe they're Phrygian in origin. Cases of formally arranged bones with parallel inscriptions in Greek and Latin. Still downward, I could hear them. Where else, where else could they draw me? Across the grotto, carrion pits of sword bones. Picked bones, open skulls. 
Nightmare chasms. Unhallowed centuries grinning their unnameable fancies. Then, then to the edge of a depth hideously foreshadowed by my dreams. Mm. An apparently boundless depth. Power, there's no end to it. A great mouth lined with human debris. Spewing, swallowing, yawning out from the prime module. Power, power, stay out of it. Stay out of it, man. The rat, questing new horrors, determined to lead me on. I ran, ran, following them. I heard voices, echoes, but above all that insidious scurrying. I felt them all around me. I was one of them, part of the ravenous army that feasts on the living and the dead. Well, why shouldn't rats see the Dilla Power? As the Dilla Power eat forbidden things? No. No, no, I am not that demon in the twilight grotto. It's not Nari's body I tear apart. It's not blood I feast upon and flesh. You faint and fear at what my family do. What the you I'll learn you how to cross. Words is the wine can be this life. That is what they said. I said when they found me in the blackness over the half-eaten body of Captain Nari. Now they have blown up Exum Priory and shut me into this barroom at Hardwell. Fearful whispers about my heredity and experience. When I speak of poor Nari's, they accuse me of a hideous thing. But they must know that I did not do it. I did not do it. They must know it was the rat. It was the rat. You scampering will never let me sleep. The demon rat that raced behind the padding of this room and beckoned me down to greater horrors than I have ever known. The rat. The rat. They can never hear. The rat. The rat in the wall. That was The Rat in the Wall by H.P. Lovecraft. The part of Captain Norris was played by Bernard Mays, and Powers was played by your host of the Black Mass, Eric Bowersfeld. The technical production was by John Whiting. And now, good night. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com 
slash terror 1970 or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, say hello, a suggestion, a request, a even a critique, please feel free to email me at Radio Show Nerd at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like the videos. Would be highly appreciated. Also on our channel is a segment I call Sinister Saturdays, where I feature vintage television episodes from shows Lights Out, Inner Sanctum, The Creaking Door, The Veil, etc. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.